0: Daniel chapter 2, reading from verse 24 to 49. And as we read through, we're going to read through all of Daniel in this series. We're focusing on just a few verses within this portion. So hear the word of God. Daniel 2, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Ariah quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions upon your, of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not, has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes... "...who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome." This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth this is the dream now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king you o king are a king of kings For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, He has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, And its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. Then the king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. That is God's holy and eternal word May. As it endures forever, may it endure upon our hearts. You know, I was thinking as we came to this text, how many times, in particular in the New Testament, there were these kingly rulers who had a familiarity and yet hollow regard, even at times contempt for the Lord Jesus Christ who didn't respond in like manner as King Nebuchadnezzar did here when he heard of this king that was to come and take over the kingdoms of the world. We gain a sense in which Nebuchadnezzar was affirming God as the God of gods and the Lord of kings, a a revealer of secrets. We gain a sense that perhaps there was a, a modicum of faith being expressed in his heart But when you look at the New Testament kings who had familiarity with Christ, who had Him visibly present, who could see the miracles and the wonders that He had done, who could hear the testimony of the apostles, who spoke to them of the truth of who Jesus Christ was, I think you will see that Nebuchadnezzar led the way in having a a knowledge, a, a sense of godliness, but not the power of salvation. That was to accompany it. Think of Herod uh, who had Jesus before him. And Herod hoped that Jesus would do a miracle and then held him in contempt when he wouldn't. (laughs) Think of Pilate who recognized the just character of Christ, who even had a measure of fear when his own wife had a dream about Jesus as the Son of God and warned Him, be careful what you do to this man. And yet, he was unwilling to exonerate Him and wanted rather to please the multitude and the the leaders of Israel instead of honoring justice before the just one. Think of Felix in Acts 24 who was moved to fear when Pilate spoke to him of Christ and of the righteousness of God and he was filled with fear of the eternal judgment to come but procrastination soon replaced his fear and he was disappointed that no bribe had been offered to him. Think of Agrippa who was well-versed in Jewish tradition, and when Paul stood before him and laid out the gospel of Jesus Christ, he even said to him, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Almost. And though so religious, his unregenerate soul was unable to confess Christ Jesus as Lord. I say all of that because we're going to encounter as we go along other dealings with Nebuchadnezzar. That is the way of Nebuchadnezzar. Of those uh, four people that I've just mentioned, they come so close to acknowledging God, but they fall short of that solid profession of faith and hope in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And Nebuchadnezzar is in that way. God gave him this dream. God's purpose in giving this dream to Nebuchadnezzar was for him, as we, as we saw there in verse 30, was for him not only to understand what God was going to do, but was for Nebuchadnezzar to know the thoughts of his own heart. <laughs> to be confronted with who he was as a proud and arrogant and violent man who was going to stand in judgment before God. And do you think that that moved him to a humility that could own and express faith and salvation in Christ? It didn't. But it was nonetheless a very gracious act of God toward a pagan king Because even in this dream, God showed Nebuchadnezzar how small he was before God, even though he was, verse 37, a king of kings in the earth. He was a man who himself was going to stand in judgment before God. You know, this dream of Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel is able both to tell him And to interpret. This dream communicates two very fundamental truths that we all are to own. The first is this The sovereign, omnipotent God of heaven is the one who establishes these various successive kingdoms of the world, not man. Even though man is establishing their kingdoms, it is only but and for the will and purposes of God that they are established. And that ought to be a comfort to you to know that the Lord's hand is in these things. Even before the kingdoms have risen, God is saying they will rise. And they will do thus and thus they will be destroyed. <laughs> and they will be destroyed by His King. That is a truth to behold. It's something, I was reading this earlier. Most of you know Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. There are passages of Scripture that we turn to when it concerns the incarnation and the birth of Jesus Christ and how it was prophesied. Do you know? how many years before the birth of Christ that His birth was prophesied that He would be called Emmanuel, that He would be the Son who would be uh, the uh, wondrous, uh, uh, the Almighty God, uh, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, uh, those passages. Uh, Those prophecies were given in and around 750 B.C. Do you know what else happened in and around 750 B.C. The city of Rome was founded by Romulus. <laughs> that even as God is giving prophecies about His Son who is to come, He is also the one who is ordaining that kingdom of iron that would become a kingdom of iron and clay that would be present and dealing with the actual person the physical fleshly person of the son of god the lord jesus christ my friends we we need to grasp this truth the sovereign omnipotent god of heaven is the one who establishes these kingdoms for his purpose not man in all of his arrogance and pride And the second thing that is communicated with this dream is that that same God of heaven throughout all of these successive kingdoms is ultimately at work setting up his eternal kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, but which as you see in verse 44, it will come and consume and destroy all these other kingdoms. That is a truth to behold. You think of of Revelation 11.15. The kingdoms of this world have become what? The kingdoms of His Christ and Son. And this revelation of of this one king, this, this rock that would come and consume all other kingdoms, it was that revelation that stirred Nebuchadnezzar and, and that made him bow before Daniel in acknowledgement of God because he thought, as they do in their times with all their superstitious paganism, they thought, if I don't make this God happy, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> and that's why you get that sort of confession from Nebuchadnezzar. And while it stirred fear in him, what it did for Daniel and what it did for those who were taken captive into Babylon was something quite different. It strengthened their hope in God. It strengthened their confidence that even with the 70 years of captivity that were before them, they knew that God is the one who has ordered all All of history. And he was ever being mindful not only of his glory in the earth, but he was ever being mindful of his covenant, of his promises to his church, to his people, whom he had given unto Christ. And again, when you read this portion of Scripture, I hope, but I'm going to do it deliberately, that your minds are being drawn to the New Testament and all that Christ has said concerning His work. When Jesus said in Matthew 16:18, I will build My church. And what? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And that is a hope that Daniel and his friends and all who had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar could could rely upon that they were not going to be destroyed and that indeed the Israel of God itself would be secure. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? Pray for the city in which you're going to be taken captive. Pray for its well being, for its peace will be your peace, because I know the thoughts that I have for you. I also know the thoughts that Nebuchadnezzar has for you, but my thoughts they are the thoughts that will be accomplished. Yeah, that, that's that's hope, isn't it? And and you go to 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection of Christ and his ascension and what what Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 15 where where God says um, to his uh, his his son you know what we sang sit here till I make the nations your footstool we hear Paul saying that Christ must reign until all have been subdued under his feet but that verse doesn't stand alone because there's another verse in the New Testament. Romans 16.20 For the nations of the world to be subdued under the feet of Christ. We are told that, that, that we are included with Christ in that. That the God of peace is going to crush Satan under our feet as the church. <laughs> Now we live in times, and I hear Christians often say this, we live in times that seems like increasing evil is coming upon the land, and and we think because of the evil that we see around us, well, it's got to be the end times. How much worse can it get? How much more evil and wickedness upon the earth will God tolerate before He comes again? And I often remind Christians that you think it's bad? Think of Noah's time. How much worse that was. I don't want to say we haven't seen anything yet concerning evil. But the reality is is that God has set the timeline and we aren't growing in despair at the evil that is rising on the earth. We are growing or ought to be growing in a hope and confidence that God is at work in every generation with the purpose of setting up His kingdom on earth. That He has never forsaken that promise. And so we don't live in despair. We don't live in fear of the evil that surrounds uh, us in, in this world. We live in hope and confidence that the judge of all the earth is returning and he will do what is right. And we are called and we're going to turn to this at the end in more depth, but you think about it in respect of Hebrews twelve twenty eight, when he says, since we know that we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, all the kingdoms of this earth are being shaken. We see that today, don't we? I mean, how... How many of them live in fear of COVID? How many of them have been driven into economic depression and bankruptcy because of COVID? How many of them are fearing what's going to happen with a second or third wave? How many nations of the world are in turmoil? And we're caught up in that, aren't we? And we think you know we 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 think and we hear of all the doomsday saying that goes on with this but but we're not we're not living in fear. We're as scripture says Hebrews 12:28 we're as believers as the church of Christ we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. <laughs> it is good that the kingdoms of this world are being shaken. Because they must come to nothing. And they must see that they are but mere men. They must see they are but a drop in the bucket before God. How many of them are seeing that? It's frightening to see that so, so, so few of them have done anything to acknowledge God in all of this. But we, how are we to be living as the church of Christ? We are called to set our hope in Christ while we live in Babylon and to conduct ourselves with reverence and godly fear because we are confident that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And as you read about all of the turmoil of our day being met with the egomaniacs and, uh, dare to say, incompetent leadership, even as you consider the state of our country and this world where is your hope? Where is your confidence? Where is your courage? It's in King Jesus. It's in His return. It drives us to longing and praying, does it not? Your kingdom come, O oh Lord. And I want you to see as well in this that the central figure of this revelation is not Nebuchadnezzar. It's not this image of, of man and, and uh, of the various kingdoms that are coming. The central figure of this revelation, of this dream, is Christ. And as great as Nebuchadnezzar was acclaimed in verse 37 as uh, a king of kings, There is another who would be greater. It was not the silver, not the bronze, not the iron kingdoms. It was the stone cut without hands. And Daniel, I believe, is grasping that point when he says at the end of verse 35 there, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Daniel knew that God was revealing to Nebuchadnezzar the Messiah, the Christ, the king who would come—that was their hope. This stone is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to to consider and to think. Uh, of 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 a parable that the Lord Jesus told in Luke 20. If you want to turn there if you have your Bibles. The parable of of a, a vineyard that was leased to vine dressers and the king went off to a far country for a long time and and he wanted uh the produce of his vineyards but the the vine dressers uh were reluctant to give it to him. And they beat up his prophets, they beat up the servants that he sent to require from them what was his to have. And finally, he sends his son, and the vine dressers speak about conspiring to kill the heir so that they could inherit the vineyard for themselves. And they did so they, cast out the son and they killed him. And Jesus asked this question, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And he says he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to another. And it was a parable that was spoken in judgment against Israel who had rejected the king that God had sent. That as much as they had been anticipating and waiting for the Messiah to come, when he actually came, Israel wholesale rejected him. And God said that he is going to give his kingdom to the Gentile nations. And 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 there in in that parable in Luke twenty, verses seventeen and eighteen, Jesus makes reference. Psalm 118 in that verse that speaks about the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever that stone falls it will grind them to powder. Can you not see Christ envisioning what this dream is all about as He is that stone that has now come? He is the chief cornerstone. And He has been made that chief cornerstone of the kingdom of God by the Father Himself. And He is the chief cornerstone of that visible kingdom of God here on earth. The church, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ as the chief cornerstone That the kingdom of God that has come upon the earth in Christ is the church visible right now. That we are that representation of God's kingdom that is at warfare against the kingdoms and the nations of this earth. And, And that truth about the stone which if we fall upon it will be broken. We'll be humbled. We'll be brought to that place of owning Christ as King and Savior. We'll be brought to that place where we are broken and become contrite before God and recognize we need to be saved from the coming judgment. But the other side of it is true. As Jesus said in Luke 20.18, upon whomever this stone falls they will be crushed. (laughs) They will experience the judgment of God. And this is what you see happening with this stone. And you take that parable that Christ told and you merge it here with Daniel 2. It, It shows something of the contrast that exists between the kingdom of God and His church and the kingdoms of this world. One of the Contrast that it shows is that the kingdoms of this world advance by power and conquest and wealth and prestige. But the kingdom of God, that stone that comes and and crushes the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of God advances through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who suffered and died. The one who though rejected and despised by men is sent by God to bring life to all who are broken by Christ. The church of Christ. When Jesus says, I will build my church, He builds it upon the gospel to bring His salvation to those who have been humbled in their hearts before the mighty God that His grace may meet them. His kingdom advances not like the world's kingdoms advance. But also, what this reveals to us is that the downfall of these kingdoms happens not because they lack military might or wealth or prosperity. Their downfall is spiritual and moral failure not one or the other, but the both of them together. Their downfall is that they reject the living God and His Christ whom, they, whom He has sent, and so they fall in in, mor- in moral decline. A rejection of Christ's Lordship, a rejection of His Gospel, incurs this evil immoral behavior which incurs the hand of God's judgment upon the nations. As God's word says, righteousness exalts a nation. but sin is a reproach to any people. And when we understand Christ as this stone who is coming that uh, to borrow Calvin's words, We as Christ's church always have hope, even in the darkest of ignoble times. We can hope because that stone has come. Christ has come. And He has come, not with the purpose of restoring any earthly kingdom, he has come not to make a kingdom out of the USA or Canada or Britain or any of the nations of this world. He has come to establish the eternal kingdom of God, which is of power and glory. And we, the church, ought to know that. That stone will destroy all the kingdoms of of this earth. And I think one of the things that we have to be careful of when we when we see uh, this particular dream and we try to understand it all too often many people look at this passage in Daniel and they spend far too much time focusing on the identity of the various kingdoms that are represented by this statue. That is not why this dream was told, so that we could look at it and say, okay, Babylon is the golden head, uh, the Medo-Persian kingdom is the, the silver uh, body, and Greece is the bronze waist, and Rome is the iron feet. That, that's not the purpose of this dream. The, st- the purpose of this dream is to show that the stone the Lord Jesus Christ is going to destroy them all. That's the purpose. That is the point of having one image in the form of a man that represents all the kingdoms of this earth. (laughs) That no matter how glorious they may be, no matter how strong and mighty they may be, no matter how united they may be, The kingdoms of this world are going to be destroyed by Christ. They will be subdued under His feet. They will be made a footstool. They will not endure. Another thing to understand about this dream is as you see in verses 37 and 38, that God is the one who gives each earthly kingdom its glory and power. Now that is something for us to note. The God of heaven has given you, Nebuchadnezzar, a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. He has given them into your hand, has made you ruler over them all. Do you think... Nebuchadnezzar grasped that truth. I dare to say no. That there is also with that an understanding that decline is inevitable for all the kingdoms of this earth. You, you see it with this image. There is a very transient declining nature to all worldly authority. Every kingdom that came after Nebuchadnezzar was inferior to his in a sense. But they were all destroyed. And the progress of mankind in rebellion to God is one of degeneration even with all of the progress that we have seen in our time, and we think with medical, technological progress and and prosperity that has come upon the earth, the progress of mankind in rebellion to God is always one of degeneration, immorality, and God will meet it with His judgment. And when you consider this statue, the the final kingdom represented by the iron and the clay, it's not only inferior in glory, it is inferior in unity and power and purity. And that's something for us to understand about the nations of the world today. I think it's one reason why I'm not afraid of global unity, even if I don't like it. Because man's attempts to be one and united together are always going to fail because the only true unity of humanity that can be had in all purity, love and integrity it can only come in Christ. It can't come by any other means because the heart is in rebellion to God. And, and, and you you see this, you understand. Babylon, it was not simply destroyed by the Medo-Persian Empire, nor was the Medo-Persian uh, Empire destroyed simply by Greece, nor was Greece destroyed by Rome. They were all destroyed by that stone that was cut without hands. They were all subdued by Christ. And when you read there in verse 4, Excuse me verse 35 when it when it speaks about these nations being so destroyed their destruction is so complete they become as chaff in the wind verse 35 doesn't that take you to Psalm 1 the distinction that God makes between the righteous and the ungodly And how he says that the ungodly, they will become as chaff in the wind when they stand before God. They will not stand with the righteous in judgment because they do not fear God. Because they do not have the blessed man, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. They will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. They will perish in all their counsel, in all their glory, in all their ways, in all their scorn of God. They will perish in judgment. And Daniel is communicating these truths to Nebuchadnezzar. You see, we sang it this morning. You see why Psalm 146 verse 3 says, Do not put your trust in princes, nor in any son of man in whom there is no help. You know, I know we we have an election happening uh, in the U.S. this year. Uh, We have our own uh, political... Uh, rumblings and uh, the election of a new conservative party leader. And I know many are looking to particular individuals to come and try and deal with uh, some of the incompetence that we have experienced under the current leadership. But our, 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 our help is not going to come from any son of man. The church's help is only found in Christ. And, and that is something that, that we need to see from this dream and apply it even to our day. That our hope isn't for someone to to come up within the nation of Canada and suddenly be the Savior of Canada and leading us forward into a new righteousness and a new way of living. Our hope is in Christ. Uh, that He would subdue this nation under His feet and bring forth the righteousness of His kingdom on the earth. We need to look beyond that politics of our day in those ways. I'm not saying that the politics of our day isn't important. Yes, it is. But we have to understand that we are the church now living in these latter days. And even today, Christ is fulfilling His purpose not to make any nation great, but to build His church and to bring forth the kingdom of God upon the earth. That's what He's doing. And if we wish to be part Of his kingdom, if we wish to be part of that mountain that will grow and fill the whole of the earth, we must fall upon the stone and be broken. You cannot be part of that mountain, you cannot be part of that kingdom of Christ without faith in him without understanding in humility that you must be broken by your sin. That you must understand that what awaits you apart from Christ in eternity is nothing but judgment and the wrath of God. That you need to be redeemed from your sins. And that can only come about by faith in Christ, by looking to Him who was crucified on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to pay the Condemnation that we were under and owed by God in death. And to understand that in Him only is cleansing and forgiveness and new life received. We must fall upon that stone. We must believe in Christ. We must repent. And in doing so, we are found in that kingdom that cannot be shaken. And if you have not done that, understand that that same stone will crush all upon whom it falls. It will consume the nations of this world. Verse 44. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And as the church of Christ in our day since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken what is it that we need? We need grace. We need the loving kindness and the mercies of our God in meeting us every day so that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear because our God is a consuming fire. That is our response even to the troubles and circumstances of our day. It is increasing reverence to God and awareness that He is working out His divine purposes for the glory of His kingdom. And as hard as our lives may become here on this earth and in these days, godly fear above all else, is to encompass us. Because we understand, we understand that the Father is making the kingdoms of this world a footstool for His Son. We understand Jesus is at work to subdue the kingdoms of this world, not to make them glorious. We understand that God's kingdom is coming and it will crush all in its path. And in that reverence and godly fear, we make it our goal and our purpose even more to go out into the world to make disciples, to call the people to repentance, to teach them and to 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 show them the way of life In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we understand that we are ambassadors for our Lord till the fullness of his kingdom comes. And in that, we don't fear. The gospel brings to us a different wisdom than that of this world. Even in the midst of COVID, we don't fear death, we don't fear what it may bring even in the midst of the turmoil of economy and and, uh, increasing suppression. We do not fear these things. We do not approach them with the wisdom of this world. We come in that spirit of power and of love and of soundness of mind. We know what our God is doing. And so we serve Him acceptably. Daniel was the pre-runner of these things for us. Daniel embraced these truths and fearlessly proclaimed them to a king that could have angered, and, and we're going to see that next week in chapter three, could have become so angry that Daniel could have died in that moment. but he feared his God. He held his God reverence for his God before the king. And he served his God acceptably. May we have that nature, that respect, that attitude of faith as we serve our God in our time. Let's pray.